This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Coming strong with another edition of Long Woods with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe, and for only the second time in the history of the Long Blitz podcast, in the decade plus we've been doing this podcast, we get to talk about Texas in the Big 12 championship game. Texas and Oklahoma State on Saturday. We'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll also talk about that win over Texas Tech, but we'll talk mostly about the Big 12 championship game, the regular season, and uh, where things look like they might be headed from here. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? How uh, how many turkeys did you fry, and did you get enough fried turkey on Thanksgiving? Man, I still ate some fried turkey this morning for sort of a lunch <laughs> breakfast because I got to finish it off. But I, I actually didn't fry as many. My father and uh, uncle and brother did in the morning. I was still putting in some lineups since the Lions were playing at 1130. So I'm going to give them all the credit on this year's frying, but I enjoyed it. Uh, a man who knows a thing or two about the Detroit Lions in Thanksgiving because he played for the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving. And in 2024 – just in time for what will be his year-old daughter at that point to enjoy the Texas-Texas A&M rivalry. That game is back, as we found out. He played in that game, too. So he enjoys Thanksgiving, and he loves football. He uh, wears many hats, but for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 GT All-American, 2002 semifinals for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that team ring comes back, and we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he's a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. I appreciate the intro, as always, brother. I appreciate it. hope everybody had a great holiday uh, weekend as well. How awesome is that, Rod? Your daughter was born in time to where the Texas Texas A and M game is coming back. Perfect timing, brother. Perfect timing. It yeah. is. I mean, uh, man. Hopefully, you won't be able to take be able to go to one of them games and take it to one of those games. That's pretty cool. The uh, the Babers family brought the Texas Texas A and M rivalry back. We can just thank uh, you and the misses for that. So <laughs> <laughs> it was the good it was the good luck charm to push it over the top and get it on Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, hey. Might be the first Big 12 title in a long time, too. Hey, yeah. you know, hey, uh, the last time my daughter was born, the, the year Texas played the last Big 12 championship game, so maybe your daughter <laughs> puts it over the top, Ron. There you go. Um, yeah, maybe uh, it's in the records improving, too. This is our first 11-1 season since we started the podcast. Hey, if that 
if, if so, if my daughter got Texas to the Big 12 championship game, Rod, your daughter puts it over the top, wins a conference championship. If you want a national championship, Matt, you better get you better get on it here pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, I know. I need to hurry up. So, and then that's how it happens. Texas wins, right? <laughs> that's awesome. The gift that keeps on giving. Uh, with Thanksgiving football this year, Thanksgiving weekend football, Black Friday football, Texas and Texas Tech. Guys, it, it really seemed like, you know, we talked about it. Man, I, I was hoping, we were hoping Texas Tech's game plan wasn't going to be uh, just to try to run the ball at Texas. They, they tried to run the ball at Texas and, and not very successfully, but they got so far behind that they couldn't really use the run game. And, and it just really felt, Texas felt like they were in firm control of that game. And it really just felt like Tech was just kind of hanging on. And then once that Keelan Robinson kickoff got returned to start the second half, Man, it was it was church at that point. Uh, pretty, a pretty satisfying win for the Bevos on Black Friday over Texas Tech. Uh, I think it was, you know, it was finally the closest thing they've come to playing a complete four quarter game uh, in all three phases. I mean, how often do all three phases score touchdowns? Um, yep. You know, that's rare in any game. I think it might have happened once in my football career. All three phases scored touchdowns. That just didn't happen. All three phases had, you know, spectacular performances in one way or another, right? For the offense, it was just running backs. Like, it ain't no fun if your homies can't have none. It's like every running back they put in there was able to get great yardage. I think they all end up averaging, like, over five yards per carry. Something like that. I mean, the the running game was unbelievable. It was elite. Uh, The defense, I mean, they held very more than 2.4 yards per attempt. I mean, that is, it's crazy. It was the best pass defense performance of the season for the Texas pass defense. That's the one of your starting corners went down. Um, special teams, it, it might have been, if you really go back and look at it, I'm not going to do the research because I got too much other stuff to research. Maybe in the offseason, like offseason research, I could look at. But this may be the best special teams performance like in the last 10, 15 years from a Texas football team in one game. Think about it. Yeah. You block the punt. You returned a kick on a touchdown. Your coverage was impeccable. Uh, getting down there covering kicks. Hell, uh, Ryan Sanborn pinned them inside the deep and arrow territory a couple of times. Had a, a 47 yard. I mean, it was just there was no letdown really in any of the phases. But special teams, I thought it might have been the best special teams performance I've ever I've ever seen uh, from a, a Texas football team. Just all around in every different unit of the special team. So uh, yeah, man, I'll give them credit. It helped that. I think it was just an emotionally charged environment. I heard from most people who were there that it was the most, uh, like it was the most energetic environment that they've ever been to at a Texas football game. I'm not joking. They, they, they mm-hmm. were comparing it to Texas versus LSU and Texas versus Bama. They said, man, it was just charged. And I, yeah. my theory is that it was senior night, so there's emotional charge there. That was a bulletin board material from Brett Yarmark, who was in the building, right? And at the end of the game, they played the Brett Yarmark joke, right? So uh, they're getting petty. Uh, you had that a lot of trash talk in the offseason from Joey McGuire and after the game last year, and they beat him. So a bit revenge tour, farewell tour as well. And I think when you look at the way the team played, they almost fed off of that. So I'll give CDC and Drew Martin a lot of credit for making the in-game environment something that they almost weaponized. And I truly saw it. You know, as a as a fan, a spectator, the fans were just fueling this emotional charge that they were getting from the team, and the team was feeding off of it. <laughs> you could tell like they were just feeding off one another, 
And it was amazing. And then you had the drone show and all that kind of stuff. So they, they made the in-game environment great. And by the way, a little sidebar, the a drone show, now I think we've got big-time breakout explosive plays, explosive touchdowns after each drone show. We've only had two <laughs> night games in Texas, Wyoming and this one. And right after those drone shows, I think the, the, the opposing team, they're such in shock and awe. They're just like, what the? They're dazed and confused. And then you had the Xavier Worthy touchdown, started the run versus Wyoming. You had the Jay Blue touchdown here. So my point is, be you know, be judicious. Make sure you use it wisely. Now that we know that we can affect the opponent with the drone show. But anyway, getting back to it, though, and just when teams were, were everybody was getting ready to leave, I heard, that's when they brought out Arch Manning. Nobody thought that was coming. And then people started texting, like, hey, man, y'all didn't get back up in here, man. Y'all, y'all <laughs> hey, Arch is, Arch is taking the field. Arch is taking the field. What? That was like late in the third quarter when everybody was like, all right, we had our field. We're good. Man, team played great. They're blowing them out. I'm going to go home, hang out, have some fried turkey. They brought out Arch. And then the t- that was the biggest ovation, the loudest the crowd got all night. Arch had to tell them to settle down. He's like, hey, man, y'all settle down. I got this. Yep. Settle down. Settle down, y'all. Um, I, I just, it, it was it was truly unique. And it was, I did see the advantage of having that in-game environment be as, uh, you know, as juiced as it was. Shout out to CDC and and, and all and everybody else because it was, it was symbiotic. The, the team was feeding off the fans. The fans were basically getting, getting juiced up by the in-game environment. And you can just see the symbiotic, the symbiosis happening there. Yeah, for sure. And the environment, I mean, to add on to what you were saying with the drone show, like the only two home games were the at night were the ones you mentioned, Rod, were Wyoming and this game. And when you give Texas fans all day to prep for it and they were jacked up and then you get the blowout and then you add Arch in there. I mean, Sark said it was the best environment he had been around. Many other fans, players were talking about how loud it was. So it couldn't have been a better way to – finish off a season when you're trying to go and prove that you deserve to be playing past, say, a Big 12 championship if you're able to get there. Boy, Rod, I was thinking about special teams performances, and the one that that immediately came up for obvious reasons, uh, I I can't think of one off the top of my head since then. And the 2011 game against Texas A&M was a – that game was pretty much won – on special teams, because remember they recovered the muff punt, Dustin Harris yeah. muffed the punt, and then they got the the Jordan, the Jackson Shipley to Blaine Irby trick play one play after that. Uh, you had Quandre's long punt return that set up a score, and then the Justin Tucker field goal to win it. Yeah, you're right. That's a good one. It's right. it's been a minute since we've seen as complete a special teams performance. I, I just I like the fact that. You know, Jeff Banks, he even said it in the preseason, man, he he's nat- a little more conservative in terms of when to go for the block and when to not. Um, I thought it was just a really nice call to go for the block punt when they did right after Tech's deep snapper got hurt. And I know, you, you know, you can't, you know, can the snapper or whatever, but it, it's going to change up some things with your protection. Uh, and, and the way they attacked it, man, it, it would, it couldn't have been, it couldn't have been more perfect for what they were trying to do uh than the way it played out i just i thought it was jeff banks made some really good calls on special teams and then and then dudes executed man it's not it's, it's been it's been a minute since we've seen a kickoff return for a touchdown deshaun jameson had the last one against oklahoma state in 2020 uh so it's been a minute since we've seen the, and sark's been complaining since year one how they haven't really got anything out of the kick return game and you get it in keelan robinson's last game and xavier really continues to be really good with punt returns burt auburn not a finalist not even a semi-finalist 
for the Lou Groza Award, uh, continues to just make kick after kick after kick. So just to – I know we're talking talking a lot about special teams, but that was, a, that was a damn good special teams performance last Friday. Yeah, I thought it was, like, one of the best. Like, Bert Auburn had that 54-yarder. That was his career long. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he tied the UT record for field goals in the game with five. That was Justin Tucker who did that last in 2010. And then he extended his UT record streak to 19 straight field goals and his school season best of 28 field goals. He not, I mean, I, that that was another reason. I was like, man, I, we didn't even mention him. But, you know, Bert Auburn now ascending to become a reliable, trustworthy kicker, someone who was inconsistent early on. I also think it's helped Sark, right? Sark is now taking points in, you know, in the red zone. He's taking, deciding to kick the field goals. And one thing I think he has accepted uh, the reality of, and it's okay, because Texas is a Texas is a good is a Texas is a great team. It's a great team. Like they really are. I mean, they're eleven wins in the regular season. I can throw it out there. I think they'll get twelve when they beat Oklahoma State. It just I, I they got a chance to get more than that. I mean, this is, they, this team is great. Like they passed really good. I played on a really good team. <laughs> uh, this is a great team. And I think one of the things that Sark has accepted about this team is that. You know, and they suck at the red zone. Like, you ain't going to be perfect at everything, even in this game. Last game of the season, they sucked in the red zone. But that's okay, all right, because every team has a flaw. Every team has multiple flaws. And Sark has now accepted that. But uh, what it, that has coincided with is the ascent of Burt Auburn and him becoming such a reliable, consistent kicker. And now I think Sark now is willing to say, oh, no, no, we'll take, we'll take the points. I know we go. I know Burt Auburn will give us, give, us, give us those points this time. Mm-hmm. So I think now he is – Evolving as a coach, but it's more about trust in his players who have, who are executing at a really high level, and that includes Bert Auburn. So I, I think it's helped Sark and his uh, his unwillingness, right, to uh, accept that man they just suck in the red zone, and they're gonna suck in the red zone all season long because it's game twelve and they still suck in the red zone. Yep, and then just to put a number on some of the stats that Texas has via special teams, Texas has is one of the five teams in the country with two punt return touchdowns this season. There's only been 48 punt return touchdowns in college football, and there's only been 40 kick return touchdowns in college football. So Texas has two, one of each of those in those categories, and then – Texas is tied for 10th in the country in block kicks involving kicks and punts, which is their three block kicks. So they're up there in the elite categories. And, you know, you can have elite special teams without getting those type of results. But when you're getting actual scores and actual turnovers where you can flip field position by like 50 yards just with the block, those things are so huge. And I mean, Seeing Texas, too, we talked about two weeks, how huge that uh, two-point conversion, just what you got turning a game from a three-point game that was going to be trimmed down or possibly a three-point game from four, and then you block it, you bring it back, and you turn it into six. That meant so much in the Iowa State game. So back-to-back weeks where the special teams are doing really well. Yeah. um, I was trying to – Rod, how many kicks did you block in your career? You remember – Oh man, that's a good. I know I blocked one in the A and M game. Yep. Uh, I thought I had another one, maybe two. I don't. I think I had like two, maybe. Because I, I, think I had a field goal. I think I had like a field goal block, a uh, uh, something like that, an extra point field goal block, and I think I had a punt block. This is this is one of those deals that, like, we talk about the, just the, you know, the stupid records at Texas that'll probably never be broken. Yeah. Um. Career block punts. 
was Michael Griffin blocked eight punts in his career? Yeah. Damn. There are teams that go four years and don't block eight punts. Yeah, and he saved that championship season. Texas maybe doesn't win against AM in the last game of the 05 season. That game was close. It was a one-score game when he got that blocked punt. That's crazy. So there's that. And then block kicks. Shane Dronette has a school record with seven, six field goals and a PAT. Nobody blocks field goals that much. Damn. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, I can't believe that. I'm writing that down because that's one of those things. I can't believe that's real. <laughs> I, I know, right? The late great Shane Dronette, by the way. Yeah. Um, man, it's, I just I get to look at these records sometimes when we're doing this show. I'm like, that's. Wow, that's a real number. Oh, okay, great. We'll jot that down for future reference. Um, you know, Rod, I, I want to. I was going to get to it later, but I'll get to it now. What you were talking about about this team being a great team. What 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 amazes me about this team? We've always talked about it in the in the time we've been doing this podcast. That if you look like two thousand five, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, really, really 05 and oh nine, Texas has won conference championships with like a transcendent level, you know, historically great quarterback leading the way. It was Vincent 05, it was Colton 09. And we talked about how Texas kind of needed that transcendent guy in the past to, to get him over the top. And I think we can all agree that Quinn Ewers has the has the, the ability to at some point show himself as a transcendent talent. Quinn is not a transcendent player right now. This team has been, Rod, as good as they are without having like that transcendent superstar player i mean you can you can say jonathan brooks was trending that way but they've won two really important games without him they won they beat iowa state on the road and this murdered tech at home and if they went on saturday they'll win a big 12 championship without jonathan brooks uh you know they they survived two games without quinn uh you know xavier worthy hadn't been healthy the whole year but he hasn't had to eat up the lion's share of the targets like he has the last two years, they were able to spread it out a little bit more, uh, you know, defensively. Yeah. Tavondre Sweat, by the way, finalist for the Outland trophy that came out today. Uh, he's going to be an all American Byron Murphy's going to get his flowers at the end of the year, but you, you don't have like that dynamic edge rusher. There's not a Brian, Arakpo. There's not a, a Sergio Kendall on this team. You don't have a, a Thorpe award winner type guy in the secondary. You were a, you were a, an elite, you know, a great team without necessarily having it's not that one or those one or two transcendent guys it's just a lot of guys got their development in the right place at the right time that you're you're very good in a lot of different areas uh yeah i agree with that i mean i i do think that these guys are going to get you have guys that get drafted really high right that's the yeah i mean and then whether you want to talk about them being transcendent talents in the college level or not that's a you know different discussion um who's gonna become a national award winner stuff like that but I mean, you look at the sort of track, and they're going to have 10 guys drafted. Yeah, and a lot of first-rounders. I think they'll have 10 guys drafted from this team. I mean, you sort of going looking at it. The way it's like, you know, A.D. Mitchell and Xavier Worthy are going to be drafted. J.T. Sanders leaves. He's going to be drafted. Uh, well, I take it back because I don't know. I don't think Quinn's leaving anymore. Um, yeah. <laughs> Quinn, Quinn may be coming back. So yeah. maybe not 10 guys drafted because Quinn may be So maybe eight to nine, right? You're talking about Xavier Worthy, J.T. Sanders, A.D. Mitchell, Christian Jones. Looks like now he's – Worked himself into being a draftable prospect as well uh, on offense. Uh, they have Jay Brooks didn't get hurt. I would have thrown him on their list. So I had to drop it down to eight. Uh, on defense, here you got two D tackles that'll be drafted. Hell, Alfred Collins could mess around and end up being drafted too. I think Jaday Barron will be drafted. Jamie Ford will be drafted. And, you know, right? I mean, 
right there. That's that's what eight nine guys right there. Yeah, um, and you have the guys that could be first. Like I've seen mock drafts with X being a first rounder, seen Jatavian all season being right on the. Now these are late first rounders, but X yeah. went right there. Jatavian Quinn was right there inside if he were to leave because quarterbacks are always drafted so high too. And you know, like we talked about last week, I've seen Sweat really get high up in the boards and be a guy that may end up being a first rounder and like this team's depth. Like if you were to go look at it across the board and just compare it, like you could say like literally they're too deep to where you're never going to get great numbers, but you might have two of the best wide receivers in the conference. You might have the two best D tackles. You might have the best linebacker. You might have the best DB even in Baron. Like those guys are there. And then the offensive usage, like if you were to just say have less depth across the board then you would have more hyper-focused targets going to say one player and you might have the explosive numbers that would put them on the front of an awards list but it's sort of like in the NBA whenever you have a team full of stars and people wonder you like well why does Chris Bosh suck on the heat and he's like he doesn't suck the usage just isn't there to go all the way around so when Jordan Whittington's your last skill position guy and then your number four your number three is Whittington or a guy like AD, like when that guy's third or fourth on the, uh, or Sanders or AD, fourth, third or fourth on the totem pole, you aren't going to, yeah, they're just not enough footballs to go around to be able to put up those big old spiking numbers. Like say when you have one guy like an Ollie Gordon and you funnel your entire run game and entire pass game. Now he's gotten injured in recent weeks, but do all that in like six games, he puts up those video game numbers because it's just hyper-focused usage. You know, it's it's crazy though when you you start thinking about what this team has accomplished and this is a point where Matt tried in vain to get it to where Charlie I don't know if he was ever going to get there uh Tom thought he was on the right path there but really wasn't Rod to your point they've been a great team and it hasn't they haven't been doing it with smoke and mirrors Nope. They they won it because really all of their games except one, except for the Oklahoma game, they've won the line of scrimmage in eleven of their twelve games, and the one game they didn't was the game they lost. Like they they've beaten the other eleven teams that they've beaten on the schedule. You can you can walk out of every one of those games saying, yeah, Texas won the line of scrimmage battle in this game. Whether you want to look at you know rushing numbers, protecting the quarterback run defense, whatever it is, Sark has really built this thing from the inside out. And now you're seeing that, that that's, that's why that that's how, that's how you can be a great team without necessarily having like, you know, a historically great quarterback come along that, that you build. And I, I am not, trust me, I am by no means taking anything away from the other great Texas teams that I've seen in my lifetime, but that's why this one, it doesn't, it, if there is such a thing, Rod, as a cheap 11 and one, this ain't it. It's not like, well, they just outscored a bunch of people or, you know, they, they had a great offense, but not a great defense. Like they, when you can win the line of scrimmage in 11 of 12 games and you win those 11, man, that's, that's the kind of stuff that you're, you're building something that can last. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I mean, that's, you got to get it to Sark, right? That was part of Sark's vision. He wanted, mass and girth on the inside, massive humans, and he wanted speed on the outside. Now, what you got to give him and his staff a lot of credit for is 
a lot of these guys that are the um, kind of the main, uh, you know, leaders on this team and are the, the, the frontline guys on this squad, they weren't all recruited by Sark mm-hmm. and his staff. I mean, they were developed by Sark and his staff, but as they were recruited, um, that's the encouraging thing is that they're still, the guys that Sark and his staff have recruited, some of them are out there, but not a lot of them. All right, most of a lot of the frontline guys who are leading the way now for Texas, who are the leaders, the guys who are the biggest playmakers uh, on offense and defense, they are guys that they inherited and then started to develop, and they developed them to a really, really high level. Like we said, they'll have you know eight something draft picks this year, something like that. Um, so that's the encouraging thing is that it it does look like it's substantive, meaning like it's not mm-hmm. you know it wasn't some gimmick, it wasn't you know 20, 2018. Uh, Bam Bam Sam, you know, there was an element to that team where they kind of caught the world by surprise with a concept that teams did not expect. And then teams got, you know, once they got the film on Bam Bam Sam and the concept Texas was using, it was no longer a conceptual advantage. And, and the next season, they lost that as a conceptual yeah. advantage. Uh, imagine the, the Eagles losing the tush push. Uh, that was the equivalent of Texas losing the ability on short yardage to use Bam Bam Sam in that manner. And I think it was it was devastating for the offensive identity of that team. And for Sark, there isn't one concept they lean on more than another. There isn't, like, to your point, there's one player that has been the identity and engine. It's Jonathan Brooks was the closest to it. And hell, Jonathan Brooks has left. They've had a they've had a two different hundred yard rushers. Yeah. <laughs> since Jonathan Brooks got hurt. Uh, so yeah, man. And we thought it'd be Quinn, right? We're like, oh man, they're gonna need Quinn to you know play at a really high level and to be transcendent for Texas to be a great team. Uh, no, he's been he's been good, but he hadn't been transcendent. <laughs> he's yeah. been good. He's been good, but he hadn't been transcendent. So yeah, I'm with you. I mean, you've seen the injuries of different guys. It doesn't seem to matter much. This team is built on that that culture that Sark talks about, and that culture has gotten tested over and over again and called out uh, the last couple of games by their opponents. And yet, that culture keeps passing the test. It keeps passing yeah. no test. Yeah, and they've done it like Jeff talked about the establishing the line of scrimmage in every single game and doing it across the board. And, you know, not only is there like the 11 wins that you've done in this conference, but then this team, I think it's indisputable, has like the most impressive win in college football this season. Like you can go right there. Washington had an impressive one against Oregon. And Texas, though, being the only team in history of the Nick Saban era at Alabama to win in Tuscaloosa by double digits. No other team has ever done that. And for Texas to be able to do that in its infancy at the beginning of this season and be able to finish that game with a drive that was more than seven minutes of, well, here it is. You know what's coming. And you to that being able to stop a team that's maybe more explosive than we'd given them credit for or who knows where the development is but to have that type of win in a true road test in college football like those are the things like the only other non-conference win like that in the history of this program is in 2005 when Texas won by three in the horseshoe at Ohio State so it's an impressive resume to be able to put together it's it's the first time you beat a top AP the top three team in the AP poll in a true road game since the '69 shootout in Fayetteville. That's crazy. <laughs> well, those are championship what? years. Yeah. We're saying 05 and '69, and then never in the history of Saban, which is insane. It, it's the top five teams are 31 and one at home this season. Um, yeah, I saw that. And one loss is Alabama's loss to Texas at home. 
Yeah. Why? It's, man, that's just insane. And, you know, I, I always, I've always tried to say, you know, can you find something redeeming about this, about a Texas season? We'll find a hell of a lot redeeming about this season when it's over. I mean, almost regardless of what happens on Saturday, it's been a hell of a lot of good established during this season. Rod, I think one of the underrated things is for the first time since that unbeaten season in 09, you know, your one loss was a neutral site game. You went undefeated in true road games and you went undefeated at home. That that last one to me, though, to beat Tech the way you did, just for Texas to get back to where where an undefeated season at home when you realize, man, it's it's been a minute since you had one of these. Like that's that's a really big step for this program. I don't mm-hmm. need to, you know, I don't want to poo-poo that at all. Like when you get to the point where, you know, I Rod, well, sure. It was like that yeah. all of Rod's well, era. The right. Mac era. That's what I was gonna say. Like back, Rod, back when you played, I mean, DKR was the most intimidating environment, but nobody was coming into the house and and kicking you guys around at that point. It got it got to that point by the time you left, and it's. I think if you're a Texas fan, I think that's one thing you should really find satisfying is you know what you you got a team that understands what it means to be able to defend your home turf. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, that goes back to the, how we started the podcast, right? About the, you know, the, the home uh, in-game environment for Texas and how energetic it was, how vibrant it was, how, you know, the, the team, they did actually feed off of the crowd and the, the crowd continued to be juiced up by the plays that were made by the guys on the field. And it just is kind of symbiosis. Uh, that formed with the crowd and the team. And we saw this team play a full four quarter game. I'm not saying the crowd was the biggest reason for that, but they definitely helped. Uh, and I, I'll give credit to the CDC and, and Drew Martin and the crew uh, for getting that in-game home environment um, to the point where now I do believe that it actually can be an advantage for Texas. Uh, it can yeah. be an intimidating environment. We saw that even last year when Alabama came in town, but it shouldn't be just for Alabama. Right. It should be we're going but Texas going to the SEC. It should be for everybody. And yeah. the fact that mm-hmm. that was for tech. Now tech had been talking a little trash, but it was tech holiday weekend. And there was reasons for a low. But I think that it shows you that when the long one fan base is excited about their team and they got a lot of pride in their team, you're going to pack DKR and they're going to be loud yeah. and they're going to be rambunctious and they're going to be energetic because it's the best team that they've had. In 15 years, and it just shows yeah. you that if you stay, if you, the product stays at a you know elite like this, if it stays you know at a standard like this, I guarantee the crowd will respond, and that in-game environment will help keep that crowd juiced, and it'll turn into an intimidating environment, not just for the Bamas and the LSU's of the world, uh, but for everybody that comes into DKR. And that'll be yeah. that'll become the, the common, that'll become the narrative, the common narrative about DKR. You can change that. Yeah, and it's starting to change. Like you heard the opposing players like Will Anderson in the Bama game last year. But like, you know, I went to so many games and I'll tell just a personal story to give the context to just the environment and how much it's changed in the last 15 years. Because like, say, oh, eight, I've always heard that Missouri game. My brother was in that in the stadium. I was producing it. So I wasn't. I had heard how great the 08 game was. You know, since then, with the Bama game, we had always heard about in the past, say, like Houston in 1990. But even after the 08 game against Missouri at home and you had the whole 09 season, I remember being there in the season opener for 2010 
And it was the first time I got really good tickets, got them through somebody in the industry that hooked up me and my brother to be able to go. So we're jacked up. You know, Texas is coming off of barely losing the whole Colt McCoy game. Yeah, local guy Garrett Gilbert out there. We're jacked up to go cheer on our team. And literally, we are just told by the people behind us to sit down the entire time. We're standing up too much. We don't do that in Section 8 is what they told me <laughs> and my brother. They literally told us we were standing up and cheering. And they told us, no, we don't do that in Section 8. Wow. Like Because if we were sitting there in the eighth row in the round, like the 45 yard line. And all we were doing, were standing and cheering for the horns. It was an ugly ass beginning of the game. And we wanted to get like, and we couldn't believe it. So we were sort of the pricks and we just kept standing up and cheering <laughs> and just said, screw those old people that are angry at us for cheering on the horns. And like, you could tell that season, those fans, they turned really quick. And just to hear that the environment, like you can tell it's not like that. And the people saying those things are going to get laughed at because you should be allowed to just stand up and cheer for your team without being told to sit your ass down. Agreed. Amen, brother. Insane that it ever got to that point. Um, yep. We don't Rock do that in Section 8. <laughs> yeah, that's what they should. Oh, well, Section 8 sucks, apparently. Exactly. Um, yep, it did. Sorry, no disrespect to anybody sitting in Section 8, but yes, at the time it did. Rod, I want to get back to something you said. And and this, you know, I I, I didn't write about it uh, when it was said in the preseason. And in hindsight, I wish I would have. But, I, I, you know, it was in camp. It was one of the maybe a Friday availability, so there's hardly anybody there. And I asked Tavondre Sweat, I said, you know what? You know, there's expectations for this team. You've been here when expectations have been high and it didn't pan out. Like, why is this team different? And he talked about the culture, and the last thing he told me, he closed his answer with F-A-F-O. And anybody that saw the Jade Barron, you know, the, the video that got tweeted out from Jade Barron's Instagram um, mm -hmm. about, you know, Sark, Sark yelling out, F around and find out on three, one, two, three, F around and find out. Um, I feel like that that's also something that shows the growth of this team, shows the growth of the program. When, you know, you've had Iowa State, you had Iowa State challenge the culture of this team. You had Texas Tech challenge the culture of this team. And FAFO is kind of how they reacted in both of those games. And I'll go back to, you know, coming off of 2012, coming off of that 63-21 loss to Oklahoma that year. And all offseason, we talked about the Oklahoma game. We brought on former players, and we were talking about what needs to change, you know, uh, you know, how are things going to be different? And I said at the time, I said, you know, I use the example, if in the studio or at the time, I said, if, if Rod just comes in here and just punches me in the face every day and I just take the abuse at some point, he, you know, he's not going to stop until I decide I've, I've had enough and stand up and retaliate. And granted, they've got the talent now to be able to do it, but this feels like the Texas team that finally said, you know what, it, Enough is about damn enough, and and we're we're gonna fight back. We're we're tired of you know having to be reactive, and we're you know we're gonna punch first and punch harder and keep punching. That I may be I may be overstating it. I may be you know speaking about things that are out of my depth. I just and and maybe it's confirmation bias at this point. I don't know, but it feels like this team really understood what has they've understood what that's all about. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think for, for this team, like that was personal, right? They they didn't necessarily want 
that out there. They didn't want a lot of people knowing about about that. You probably should have wrote about it. And then it would have yeah. everybody would have known about it. But it wasn't something they threw out there a lot. There were t-shirts made. I've I've heard now there there were some t-shirts these guys had on about it. And at the end of the season, you know, Jade Barron puts it out there, right? It's the end of the season. Season yeah. over. Hopefully got three more games left. But we'll, you know, three, four more games. And we'll see, right? How many games Longhorns have left. But um I do think that if you start if you start looking at their their private like that's like I said their their private theme their mantra of whatever that was mm-hmm. uh, they made the John Wick thing and they let everybody in on the John Wick thing I think it is an example of, of Sark allowing this team to be themselves um, and he doesn't try to restrict that he doesn't try to control that right that's this guy they can be themselves when they come and they dress for the the Longhorn, uh, I don't know, the Longhorn walk where they come in before the game and they get yeah. shit on by the fans. You know, I've noticed how the, all the guys dress. They dress how they want to dress, right? Bert Garvin wore like a little Santa Claus suit or something. <laughs> <laughs> they dress how they want to dress. They can wear whatever they want to wear. Um, and I remember it early on, a young Matt, right, trying to control perceptions. He mm-hmm. was really, and he was, he, he had the best intentions. I love Matt. Matt's a great person and an even, you know, great coach, Hall of Fame coach, but an even better person. Um, and me and Mac have squashed our issues, so this is not being critical of Mac. It's just an observation. You know, Mac was he was big about controlling perceptions, right? Um, he he let he didn't want guys having braids and dreads early on. Didn't like a lot of you know earrings and you know tattoos and piercings early on. That was stuff he actually you know with the guys that he was bringing in. Um, he disallowed at one point. He changed that when guys guys like Cedric Benson had to be recruited. He's like, all right, you know what, Cedric Benson. <laughs> You ain't cutting your hair to come to Texas, so uh, we're changing our rules. Uh, and then I think the the thing about Ricky was he's like Ricky's grandfather then. So Rick, if you win the Heisman, then you can you can wear what kind of hair you want. Like he was he was always trying to find little loopholes, but he wanted to control the perception of his team. He wanted to be his team to be seen a certain way. And he used to have these uh, annual themes for the team, right? He had these annual themes, whatever you know, uh, consistently good to be great, whatever. Yeah, that's an example of yeah. one of them. But you, you guys remember this thing, right? You have little wristbands made out of them and everything. Brick by brick. And brick by brick and other, right? Mac had a different one every year. And what y'all know is that he would ask the senior council or the leadership council to uh, basically offer up options, what they think the theme should be, and then he would choose the theme. And one year, we didn't we offered him one option. One option. That was it. Um, the year that I was on the leadership council, and it was ethic. Right? That was it. Uh, we mm-hmm. were going to say fit. We were going to say fit. That was going to be what we put on, you know, the jerseys and put on t-shirts. Awesome. Fit. But it would be an and, that, and But what that meant was, F the outside noise, F everybody's expectations. You know, this is about us. This is close to noise. This is our thing, right? And we don't care about what anybody else thinks. This is our family. This is about us, our standard. And it was just, you know, it was a, it was a rallying cry for us because it meant something to us, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't care about what it meant to everybody else. But Mac changed it. You might remember this to wit. Whatever it takes, yeah. <laughs> and we were like, "Okay, Mac, that's Mac we, spinning it." Exactly, we were like, "Whatever, Mac, we didn't think you were gonna do it anyway, but it's okay." All right, but that was Mac trying to control the perception once again, right? Trying to control, you know, um, the, the 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 whatever the out how the outside world would view his team, and at one point, Mac let that go, and it was Vy that convinced him, "Let it go, man, let that go, let yep. us be ourselves, let us jam." Then he said, I mean, "This dude was jamming." Uh, do you remember the song he would jam before the games? Uh, I I hope you dance. You remember that? Was <laughs> I was thinking singer. about that the other day. Do you remember this? Yeah. Do you yeah. remember this? <clears throat> yes, I swear to you. If you some of y'all ain't old enough to remember, 
He would drink. I, mean, I got. I think it was Shania Twain, if I'm not mistaken. It was Leanne Womack. It was Leanne Womack. I can remember. Whoever the hell it was. I can remember sitting in Yeah. This is a song you play at funerals. I'm not making it up. Mm-hmm. It's like one of the songs you play at a wedding or something like when the when the bride's dancing with the with the father. Like it's it, it was a weird song to play. And man, we would always be like, Matt, you gotta you gotta change that song, man. You can't be having this song play. It's a great song, but it's the wrong mood before I'm about to go out there and supposed to, you know, put 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 it on my opponent, right? And go whip my opponent. I need a certain mindset, and that wasn't it. But Matt, he wanted a certain like I said, he, he was really obsessed about the perception of his team. And once DY came along, DY convinced him, he's jamming 50 Cent. DY convinced him, let the players be themselves, and they'll mm-hmm. be better for it. Your team chemistry will be better. Your culture will be better. Why? Because it, you're going to have a disingenuous, inauthentic culture if yep. your players can't be allowed to be themselves. You yeah. want a fake-ass culture. And you're going to think it's the right culture, but it ain't going to be because everybody can't be themselves there. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, within limits, you can't have guys, you know, being doing something that's illegal and against the rules. But as long as it's within limits, if a guy wants to have his hair a certain way, go ahead. You want to have it, your ears pierced, who gives a damn? Tattoos, who cares, man? We're a family here. We're not judging you for the way you dress or the way you, you know what I mean, the way you does not do your hair and all that kind of We don't care about this stuff. All we care about is, are you on the mission? All right? Are you about accomplishing the same goals that we all are? And are you in or out? Right, you came here to play for Texas or at Texas, and Mac figured that out late, and I think that's why his teams later on were better teams, not only because they had better talent, <laughs> but they were better teams because they played looser. Right, yeah. we played yeah. tight at times. Why? Because Mac was tight. Mac was tight. He's worried about the wrong damn thing. Mac was tight. He was coaching tight. We were playing tight. But that, once you got Dy in there, and you were Dy was out there jamming fifty cent for the game and dancing, man, Mac Brown was comfortable, and he was, Mac Brown was relaxed. Why? Because Mac Brown said. I got to let this be a player-led team. Coach-led teams suck. Player-led teams are the best teams. And basically, Mack let that team go on cruise control and figure out. And, that, and, and he did the same thing with the Cole McCoy regime. He figured out once you get the right guys on the bus and the wrong guys off the bus, man, just let the bus driver drive the damn thing. You know what I mean? And I think that's what Mack figured out late. And that's why his teams coach. They, they, they coach better and they play looser, which means they, they play better. We play tight. And then in clutch moments, critical moments, what do we do? Make critical mistakes, critical errors. Yep. We were damn, we were a really good team. And Mac learned that late. Sark knows that now. Let them be themselves. They'll be better people for it. And your culture will be more authentic and genuine. And that's what it is. Your yeah. coach is winning you games now. Max coaching and win games too later on, guys. I'll tell you that right now. Max for coaching sure. not win games. We were winning games because we were talented and we were driven and we and we, we we were well coached. I don't know if we were the best coach. We were well coached, but He's winning games with culture right now. And that's a that's very different than when Mac first started and Mac learned that late. Sark knows that now. Yep. And that was a transformation that like happened during Vince Young's career. Cause you could almost see Vince Young tight early on in his career. But then we've always heard about the meanings and understanding that we need to have the Vince that they saw on the highlight reels and letting Vince be Vince and that sort of transformation. Probably it happened then in that Oh four to Oh five season. And we've heard Casey stuttered, come on and talk about those teams and just sort of that personality that they took on their own. But it's something that when you see, the Mac teams of that later era, they took on their own individual personality yep. of the team. And that's where like 
so one thing that we sort of talked about it, and I don't know why it stood out in that introductory press conference from Sark, but like we hit on, it's like I, I don't know Sark, but he seems like a really authentic dude, and we talked a lot about you know his transparency and everything that he's went through, and he's always been able to talk about. It. And from day one, from his press conference all the way across, I think it's really related to these players. So he's been like the first year was rough, but he was able to get a connectivity within his team and the players do trust them and it's they're able to go out there and when you can be yourselves and don't have to put on that extra layer if it's for image or because you're the son of some great quarterback like you look at a guy like arch like it seems like arch is not taking the burden that comes with that the manning family like the way that we've seen all the way across different generations of players like that image conscious atmosphere is something that can make you be what you aren't. And that's really cool to see a team that's sort of just embracing who they are. I, you know, you, you bring up a great point, Rod, when you talk about max teams, let's say from Oh four, like the Oh nine, that run. Um, that he was winning with culture at that point. And it really wasn't even until kind of late in that 04 season uh, when, you know, he and Greg Davis and VY had the meeting and it's like, hey, we're going to let Vince be Vince. And, yep. um, you know, that the run that happened, happened. But, uh, you know, if you if you have a fake culture, like I don't know why everything you said, like fake culture, that's the one thing to me that really stood out with what you just said. And, and I think about it like, you know, Mac, and and you gotta just take this ride with me because I'm I'm kind of thinking out loud here. You think about Mac at the end, and I think at that point it felt like maybe he gave players too much leeway, and when he tried to pull back, tried to rein it in, he really couldn't at the end, and everything was so fragmented, and it's like there were every time it seemed like he plugged up a leak in the boat, another one popped up, and. You know, Charlie, God bless, man. I really like Charlie Strong, but God bless him. But he, you know, it was, it almost felt like every day was surviving, you know. And yeah. I, I can remember some, I had I, somebody told me, and I know this person listens to this podcast, so they'll appreciate the story. They, they were with uh, some recruits, Charlie's first weekend on the job when he was able to host recruits. And this person remembers Charlie walking out and looking at a picture of him, they had kind of the image of him on the jumbotron and he was just sitting there looking at it. Like it's amazed that like, this is his. And <laughs> my friend said, he's like, he's like, at that point, I was like, man, I wonder if this job's going to be too big for him. And as it turned out in a lot of ways it was. And then with Tom Herman, you know, Tom, Tom won, they won those 10 games in in 18. And then they started off good in that 19 season. But you know, Rod, to your point about fake culture, man, if it's fake, it, it ain't going to last. <laughs> no. And, oh, yeah, and that's the biggest difference between this era of Sark and Herman is that connectivity with those players, like you're saying. Yeah, and, and that's that's kind of where I'm going with it is Texas is one of those jobs that changes people, man. It changes people and sometimes not always for the better. You know, it changed, it changed Mac, and, and we remember Mac at the end. You know, he was paranoid Mac and was just – the Mac Brown that you would talk to in 2013 was not the same Mac Brown you would have talked to in 2008. It's a different guy. Yep. And the other job, it changed Charlie. It, it changed, it changed the way Charlie had to do, thought he had to do things. It changed Tom Herman because I know there were people that, you know, 
told me they were close to Tom Herman. They're like, man, the Tom that I know is that's not the, that's not the Tom Herman I know. And I, I think again, I could be dead wrong about this 12, 18 months from now, but I really feel like the, the benefit with Sark and, and him coming out on the other side of everything he went through personally, I think the version we see of Sark, I think that's the only, that's, that's how he has to be every day just to kind of get along in this world, to feel like he's being real with himself. And I really feel like whether he was at Texas or if he's replacing Nick Saban in Alabama, or if he's a head coach of the division three school, I feel like you would get that same version of Steve Sarkeesian because that's who he is at this point, given everything he's been through. This is the version of Steve Sarkeesian you get. And I don't think this job has changed Sark. I think if you, you know, if you, if you knew Sark when he was in Tuscaloosa or when he was in Atlanta, I think it'd probably be this uh, in a lot of ways, the same Steve Sarkeesian. So uh, I think that's why you've got an authentic culture because you've got an authentic coach because everything he's been through it's different with Sark because if you if you start lying to yourself and pretending you're somebody you're not, you you know you risk going back down that slippery slope again. So I, I just think it's it, it's been pretty cool to see a guy get into this job. It reminds you of you know Matt coming into the job and the job not really changing you. You're kind of the same guy you were, you know, when you first took the, like walking in day one that you were at your previous stop and the stop before that. Everybody evolves and changes over time, but. Uh, I know I'm rambling, but you guys kind of understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, no. From Mac, Mac was the same guy from a same man from start to finish, and he, that was a great man, right? A yeah. kind-hearted one. Like I said, his intentions were. He, I'll tell you what he was because I can. I remember talking to him about this actually later on after I got done. He was thinking about jobs. He was thinking about um, how boosters and donors and people would see us on the field, and when we got done playing the perception of us and what it would be, right? And if it would be a negative perception because a guy had, you know, tattoos, too many tats, or a guy had, you know, his hair a certain way. And it was really Sark not trusting others, all right, to be, to see the authentic, genuine uh, person, to look past, you know, the, the obviously, um, the, the exterior and whatever the uh, perception may have been of players that, you know, they, uh, that, just because you had a certain hairstyle or whatever. So he was thinking on a deeper level that it may hurt your future prospects to get a job, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that's genuinely what he was thinking about. Um, but I told him, I was like, I, I, I think the players themselves, young people who are teenagers, 18 to 22, that is not what they're concerned about. <laughs> they're not concerned yeah. about how, you know, the, you know, how the, the job prospects for them are going to play out in their mid 20 mid to late 20s and early 30s i was like mac you can't you can't force them to worry about that either if others out there don't really see that these these people are you know productive and yeah. they are you know educated and that they are enlightened and just and just because they don't have the same hairstyle or don't have the same you know style as you um you shouldn't judge them for that you probably don't want to be doing this with those people anyway Right. Exactly. I was going to say it's an indictment of those people. And at the time, it was just a different era and generational gap between the two. And we've definitely learned that, say, those things are the ones that would be more telling about the person doing the judgment than actually judging the person based on their actions and who they are as a human instead of just going and rushing to judgment because they didn't look like the way you looked whenever you were young. So it's 
it's been really cool to see just kind of how, you know, granted Sark, Sark admitted that he didn't do everything right that first year. And Lord knows he didn't do everything right that first year, but it's, it's been cool to see a guy just kind of adjust as he's gone on, but still be the same person, you know, day one that he is going towards the end of year three and getting ready to play for a conference championship. And speaking of said conference championship, by the way, Rod, while well, you while you're talking about that about the job perception, I was like, man, I, I wonder if anybody's watching a, a, a Texas game and be like, man, you know, I see Tavondre Sweat walking around with the, you know, the the dreadlock hair, the big old medallion around his neck pregame. I don't, I don't know if I want to hire that guy to, you know, be a bank teller. I'm like, well, I, I imagine Tavondre is going to make enough money probably here. I don't know in the next few months that uh, he, he probably ain't too worried about being a bank teller down the road if that's what he wants to go to for a day no, job. I mean, but I, listen, as a 40-something-year-old man, I totally understood what Mac was coming from, that yeah. everyone does not judge people on the content of their character or their actions. There are a lot of people out there that judge people on their appearance and how they look and how their hair is styled. It's unfortunate, but it's true. And Mac was like, this is a big stage and a big platform, and I don't want you guys to have to deal with some of that negative, that negativity. As a result of that, as a result of their ignorance, as, yep. as yeah. I pointed out. So his heart was in the right place. Mm-hmm. I just he understood that, man, the world was changing really drastically. And that was kind of an antiquated view of things. And now, hell, man, I, I can't watch a college basketball game or a football game or, or hell, man, a, any sporting event without seeing weird, crazy hair. Uh, <laughs> from all types of cultures and ethnicities, uh, growing out hair and creating tattoos all over the place. So I just think Mac was just going with a kind of an old school approach to things, and he he, he modernized and evolved. Yeah, I've oh yeah, the, and uh... you wouldn't have seen the old Mac dancing like a fool, like the way he does, exactly. and way, loving exactly. his players and having that lead national, you know, sports exactly. center. So there you go. Um, I've learned, guys, the way to deal with nobody judging your hairstyle is just eliminate hair from the equation. That tends to, <laughs> or put your, or put a hat on backwards. Uh, it's eliminating hair altogether has worked pretty well for me. Um, you know what else works well for me? Being at Jerry World on Saturday, watching the Big Twelve Championship game. A little kegs and eggs. It's fitting the the last Big Twelve game Texas is going to play is a damn eleven a.m. kick. But at least. You know what, Rod, since, since uh, the Big 12 is doing this marketing deal with WWE, I'm fond of saying, man, it's a big championship game. Everybody's like, oh, man, you're playing for the championship. I'm like, playing for the belt. They really are legit playing for a belt because whoever wins the MVP of this game gets a belt to take home with them. So that's that's kind of a neat deal. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's Texas and Oklahoma State, and I don't know how much – Yeah, I don't know how much Oklahoma State you've watched, Rod, but – the times I've watched Oklahoma State and watching them in that BYU game, we talk about Texas being, you know, beat up and having some depth issues. And, and I, I get this. I got this question uh, about two weeks ago on the the flagship message board at Horns twenty four seven. I was like, why does it seem like we have more injuries than anybody in the country? I'm like, Texas does, and it's just this is the program you follow when you get these injury reports. Everybody's dealing with injuries and bumps and bruises right now. Nobody's hundred um, percent. That Oklahoma State team, man, they look. Just beat to hell in that BYU game. Like they, those guys, there were probably a lot of guys getting in the cold tub in Stillwater on Sunday. Um, and, am I making too much out of this ride? Because a couple times I've seen Oklahoma State play. I'm like, if you can, if you can figure out a way to slow down Ollie Gordon, you got a really good chance to win the game. Because I don't trust Alan Bowman to go out there and win a game if he's got to do it throwing the football. 
you know, 35, 40 times. Yeah, I mean, he's got more interceptions than touchdowns. Um, completing, uh, you know, fewer, fewer than 60% of his passes. Uh, so, yeah, Alan Bowman is not, you know, he's not a guy that I think can expose Texas in the passing game. Now, uh, you know, you still need to throw the ball against Texas uh, because you can't run it on Texas. <laughs> no. just, I mean, and I'll say, I'll give Todd Brooks a lot of credit because Todd Brooks, he made holes when there were no holes. Right, mm-hmm. he's that, that dude's legit. Now, I, I don't know if Ali Gordon's a better running back than Taj Brooks. Um, you know, because Taj Brooks is really, really impressive. I think he had what, 95 yards, his mm-hmm. average five yards per carry. Uh, Ali Gordon is averaging, I think, a little under six yards per rush against stacked boxes, right? More defenders mm-hmm. than blockers. Uh, so they they will run against the stacked box. The thing with Texas is Texas doesn't even need to stack the box to stop the run game, they can do it with a light box because they have the best D tackle duo in college football. So it's this, this is the best coaching job I think Mike Gundy's done since he's been in Oklahoma State because they yes. just don't have a lot of resources. They really do not. I mean, this is a guy that was playing three quarterbacks to start the year, lost to what, South Alabama, and after that game, in his postgame, he was not panicked. He did not freak out. I was watching. I was like, man, I wonder if he's going to be freaking out and going out to the media. I was watching to see if I could get some nice, you know, uh, nice audio of him freaking out, going on a coaching rant. <laughs> I did not, dude. He he literally said, he said, no, we, uh, you know, we, we know what we need to do. Um, we got to make some corrections. We're going to figure some things out. Uh, I, I identify some things. He was rotating three quarterbacks, finally sold on Alan Bowman, and basically used the first three games of the season, dude, as a tryout. Yeah. <laughs> dude, insane. He didn't even play Ollie Gordon. Yeah, he exactly. He basically used them as tryouts for different positions, found out who his guys were that were dependable and his best options at each position after that. And once he went to conference play, he's like, all right, I got my best guys. This is how we'll approach conference play. And once again, showing that he is a high-level, next-level problem solver, right? Uh, I would say coaches are problem solvers. Mike Gundy solves problems. Problem here is this is a bad matchup for Oklahoma State. They don't have a lot of high-level talent to beat Texas Oh, to expose Texas, right, in their pass defense. You need twitchy, fast receivers on the outside. Um, and they don't really have that. They have more possession guys on the outside. They're competent and capable, but they're not twitchy and fast like Oklahoma receivers or like even like those U of H receivers to expose mm-hmm. Texas when Texas goes in man-to-man coverage. And if they can't do that, then they're going to be in trouble. Now, Presley is their slot receiver. He gets a lot of usage. I saw a yes. lot of um, – yes, he gets a lot of targets. But you can bracket him because he plays in the slot mostly. You bracket him in the slot. And something they did last week versus Texas Tech, you play press man, bump and run man on the outside a lot. They did this against Tech because I think they figured Tech was going to run the football. If they did throw it, they wanted Barron Morton to hold on to the ball just a little half second longer because they knew their offensive line couldn't hold up and their pass rush would eventually collapse the pocket. So they played more bump and run press on both sides of the field, field and boundary, than they played all season long based on my film study. And when they did it, they were highly successful. And what it did was it took away the inside breaking routes. It took away the quick game. Forced Barry Morton to hold on to the ball just a half a second longer. And that's why Barry Morton completed 2.4 yards per attempt and was running for his life most of the time because they weren't those easy throws, right? The easy slant, easy end breaking route, the easy uh, hitch route because Texas got their cushion at seven, eight yards. They took that away a lot of the time. And guys, it worked. Now, I don't know if they did it because they don't fear Texas Tech receivers. I don't know if they did it because the end of the season, we've been working the same technique and now we're confident your technique won't fail you. I don't know if they did it because they, they're going against a t- the best running back they faced so far and they want to put an extra man in the box while taking away the quick 
easy reads on RPOs and things of that nature. I'm not sure exactly why they did it and if they'll do it versus Oklahoma State, but they should because Oklahoma State offers the same, or presents the same types of issues. Yeah, and the way that he used his talent this year and just been able to find guys out of nowhere has been pretty crazy because not only, like you said, it was sort of like a, maybe a trial for those first three weeks and whenever Major Applewhite in South Alabama beat him up, like that game, Ollie Gordon had three rushes for like 12 yards. In the first three games of the season, his uh, game logs were – Seven rushes, nine rushes, and three. And then once you get into Iowa State, you started averaging well over 20 the rest of the way, and that's when his numbers totally exploded. But then you had guys like in the first few weeks, he was playing Taylor Shetron at receiver. He Blaine Green was a guy that was an incumbent that had some pretty good numbers last season. He's only had four receptions since week four. You had Dijon Stribling get injured, and that was in week four against Iowa State. So you started to see that guy, Rashad Owens, who's now just became a fixture of their wide receiver court, and he's a really good quality receiver, be one that took over. And then they had this guy, Leon Johnson III, was literally a D3 receiver that transferred in that was planning on redshirting but because there were so many injuries across the board and players dropping out they ended up having to burn his shirt in week nine against Cincinnati when he had 11 targets five receptions for 149 yards in his first he went from being a d3 transfer that hadn't played a snap to week nine 149 yards in his first game he had 132 last game against BYU he has 446 in the five games that he's played now not eligible to reach uh to redshirt but Leon Johnson the third's been a beast in addition to Owens being really reliable. And then Jaden Bray's the only guy that people may recognize from two years ago. Last year, he was mostly injured, but it thought that they would he would be one of the main players. And he hasn't even been playing much of late. He only ran seven routes and nine routes the last two weeks. So just it's smoke and mirrors. I mean, Gundy's doing this right now. Bill Conley has o Oklahoma State as the 41st best team in the country. Like that's down below like TCU and stuff. But – they're nine and three. They put together a, a record that is as good as any other team outside of Texas in the Big 12, despite being ranked as one of the worst teams in the conference. I just, you know, I, I just looked at them in terms of raw numbers, guys. There's there's nothing they do that really <laughs> jumps out at you. No, nope. uh, the, the only thing running the ball, running the ball. And then I, I think they're uh, that's it. They're pretty good at that. They're they lead the Big 12 and they're one of the best in the country in fourth down defense. There you go. And they've only allowed like 17% of, of conversions on fourth down. They're like opponents like three of 24 or something. I don't know. I was told there'd be no math involved today. But, Rod, um, you're right. On Brennan, on Brennan Presley's usage, uh, he's got about a quarter of their total targets this year, 109. Uh, if you just look at his numbers, yards per reception, 9.8. Uh, so he is – you talk about a possession receiver. I mean, yak per reception, 6.2. Uh, average depth of target 5.9 yards. So wow. he's your average slot guy. I mean, yeah. he's 93% of the time in the slot. You pretty much know what you're going to get from Brendan Presley. I, I agree with you, Rod. I, it is a bad matchup. I, I just, I know what I said about Mike Gundy earlier this year. I don't think there's anybody better in college football. If you give him a week to plan, take what he's got and put together a game plan that can potentially beat you. I don't think there's anybody better in the country. Uh, and, and understand the context I'm using there, using what he's got. 
Mike Gundy ain't got the same pieces Nick Saban has. So that said, I don't, I haven't seen that kind of X factor guy that you can look at. Like, you know, we've seen like whether it's a, you know, uh, uh, it was Chuba Hubbard one year when we didn't really know about Chuba Hubbard and they've had, they've had different guys kind of be that guy. I think they've got what they've got. And I don't think there really is that hidden gem that Mike Gundy's been holding back for just a special occasion at this point. I think they kind of got what they've got and they are, they are. Yep. I totally agree. If you look at um, analytically, the Oklahoma state Cowboys accounting for post game win expectancies, Oh, Oklahoma State is basically considered the luckiest team in college football this year. Their nine wins is 4.2 wins above their expected win total of 4.8 <laughs> this season. And basically, yeah, you go look at me. They, it's it's unbelievable. They Oklahoma State has won this year with less than 50 percent post game win expectancy. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Say that again. Say that again, Rob. They have uh, Oklahoma State won this year with less than 50 50 percent. Post game win expectancy, accounting for post game win expectancy. Oklahoma State has been the luckiest team uh, this year in college football. Their nine wins is four point two wins above their expected win total of four point eight. Yeah, I'm no, that's. At... Go sorry, ahead, go ahead. All uh, right, well, no, just uh, the numbers. If you look at Bill Conley, he has forty one Okie State nine and three. Forty two is TCU at five and seven. Florida's five and seven at 45th. Like you can go for Auburn, who's 37th in Bill Conley's ranking is six and six. Like it's just littered with teams with 500 records or below 500 records. And then there's Okie State and Toledo. Basically, if you're the Mac champion, Toledo, who's 11 and one, that's the only team with a, a record similar to Okie State. I mean, I'm even looking at CFB graphs, looking at Parker Fleming stuff. When he's got win probability for Texas at about 85% for this week. And, you know, really the the best thing Oklahoma State does, guys, where they're ranked the highest, and you can tell that looking at this sheet, net field position. They're 14th in the country in net field position. Yeah, that, that's, that's a Gundy team. That's about it, man. That's about it. Because even, you know, rushing success rate, they're, they're only 57th in the country. Yep. So, EPA per run is where their only thing that you could say is elite. They're 19th in the country on a per run basis, but they're going up against the number two team in the country in the Texas yeah. defense against uh, EPA per play per rush. So, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why this line opened at 10 and a half with the, you know, a, the totals being 32 for Texas, 20 and a half to Okie State. It's moved to where now it's up to like 15. It's the score, according to Vegas, is 35 20. Like Texas right now, according to again, according to Parker Fleming and his crew at CFP Grass, that Texas has the number one money down defense in the country. Oklahoma State's 76th in money down offense. It's just yeah, man. It's I I don't want to sound overconfident. I just it, it's gundy. So I've tried to find, man, what is that? What is that one thing he hasn't shown? But I remember watching that BYU game and I'm like, dude, they are. They ran out of bullets a long time ago, and they're just throwing rocks and beer bottles and whatever the hell they can get in their hands to to try to scrap and win these games. Man, it is yeah. it, it's been a dogfight for them. So uh, we'll see we'll see what happens on Saturday, man. Hopefully next week when we reconvene, we're talking about Texas celebrating a conference championship, and we'll know what the uh, what the bowl outlook looks like. Look, guys, I'll say this in the end: 
my my bowl motto for the for wherever the bowl destination is, CFP or otherwise, ABA anywhere but Alamo. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I don't want to go back to San Antonio. I love you, San Antonio. I don't want to be down there for the Alamo Bowl this year. So keep that keep that in mind. Uh, that would be a failure of the system if that ended up that way. Keep that in mind, C, uh, CFP committee, when you're setting those New Year's Six spots. Uh, Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at 24-7 Sports, the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network, and the Horns 24-7 Podcast Feed, where you can get anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 24-7. No dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button. Get every episode of The Blitz when it drops on Wednesdays. Do not forget to leave us a five-star review. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. For the Horns 24-7 family, for the Longhorn Blitz family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode.